0: Hello everybody, I'm your host, Howell Curtis, and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today, who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. Uh, I'm joined today by Kshitij Kandelwal, founder and CTO of Pixel, is quite a well-known name in the industry. If, if you aren't familiar with the company, it, Pixel is currently developing a high-resolution hyperspectral imaging satellite constellation. Now, this work has involved collaborating with a, a range of suppliers from around the world, and today we're going to discuss. As some aspects of the modern space supply chain in the context of this work. So, firstly, Kshitij, thank you very much for being available to speak today. Is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction?
1: No, I think that's it. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Okay, yeah, well, you're, you're more than welcome. Let's get into the, the topic. So, we're you know we're really interested at in SatSearch in all aspects of, of procurement and uh, how the modern supply chain or supply ecosystem operates. So I wondered from your side, from the context of the work that you carry out in Pixel, what challenges in procurement have you witnessed in putting together your missions? Are there there certain common issues regarding things like lead times, flight heritage information, or other issues like export controls, those, those sorts of things?
1: Yeah, I think you really hit the nail over there. There's definitely a lot of challenges that do come with competent procurement. And they, they start all the way in component selection. We do go through these exercises where we generate these RFIs, requests for information. And um, when these RFIs are then sent out to different vendors, different uh, providers, first of all, scoping those providers and then screening the technology that we need is something that can be matched. By what they have at the moment and then going over the rest of the process trying to work towards a proposal from the vendor in some cases it's you know really easy where you have a simple commercial of the shelf component there's a fixed price to it and uh, we just talk about the component but in most cases especially in the space industry because the satellites are not always uh, standard to you or something like that you do see a lot of customization that comes with the process And that adds time, cost, effort from both sides to come to a solid proposal. We've been in this position multiple times where we have had to work with potential vendors to create proposals for ourselves. And that happens uh, fairly regularly. Apart from this, with the recent challenges that the semiconductor supply chain has faced, our lead times have shot up all the way from two months, three months to close to a year for some companies. And that's been really hard, um, given that you know, the plan is to make these satellites quickly, put them up in space quickly. There's definitely a lot of lead time issues that do come into the industry. And given that uh, most space confidence, these radiation hard and radiation tolerant components, a lot of stringent testing also comes into the picture. So there's a lot of uh, workmanship that goes from the vendor side. On the testing side of things, we used to really care about flight heritage before, but now our focus is just ensuring that the test parameters are met. So when we go through this whole process of creating proposals, we just try to ensure that uh, a very stringent test guideline is provided to the vendors. Export controls, yes. Usually the vendors take care of it themselves. We try to stay away from ITAR as much as possible. So most of our vendors are non-US. And um, as far as import goes, that is another issue. Trying to figure out the banking system to uh, make payments in time because our payments are linked to the HS code of the import or things like that. So there's a lot of nuances to the whole process, especially when you're dealing with anything and everything, which is these are some challenges that do come with the entire procurement process uh, as far as I've experienced.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Quite a range of things there. And yeah. And as you mentioned, the semiconductor shortage is just a, a problem across industries terrestrial and space-based and yeah is uh, something everybody feels now a lot of uh, the the information that you just gave us is obviously at the kind of the product level or the component level i wondered more broadly what sort of qualities is is a company like pixel or, or the team your teams in individually what sort of qualities are you looking for in a new supplier how do you decide who to work with assuming they have the component or product that you need
1: I think over the last two, three years of just rummaging through spec sheets and data sheets, we've kind of realized that there are some suppliers that are more about the fluff. And you do see that certain spec on the data sheets are always missing. Uh, They're not really clear about what kind of confidence they're using. Not very uh, clear about the way they are working. And you usually also get feedback from other people. For example, when we tried to go for one of our components uh, to find suppliers for one of our components, and we were having a tough time trying to figure out who to go with. We did take feedback from other companies who were gracious enough to, of course, within um, certain bounds, talk about their experiences with the suppliers, not the technology, but just general experiences. And uh, I think just for the suppliers themselves, it becomes really important if the documentation is right if they're responsive and patient at the same time. So we've sometimes had to deal with sales teams of suppliers who are just constantly hammering down on this, that, and just trying to sell us a lot of things, sometimes even things that we do not need. I would say just uh, focusing on what the customer's problem is, is usually the best way to go in any industry. space is no exception to that and um, from our suppliers we're usually happy if they have experience working in space so mm-hmm. if they have heritage if they have experience that is always a very good sign but if they don't they need to have uh, like good testing plans figured out they need to have the right kind the right kind of you know validation for their technology we have taken calls in the past to work with suppliers who do not have a lot of experience in the industry but who had a very clear plan to test out their technology. And we've given them a fairly big order as well. These are things that go a long way uh, in creating trust. And we we do not look for a supplier and we think that this is going to work with them for a couple satellites or so. Our preference is always to look at uh, more long-term prospects. And we are locking them in and we would want to go ahead with them for the entire constellation. So that's how we like to uh, deal with them. So honest upfront suppliers are always nice to work with. In the end, of course, the technology itself is a deciding cost of the technology as well and the lead times that it comes with. But yes, the way people interact, their flexibility in terms of putting together the contracts as well, where in some cases they understand constraints on our end and we may understand constraints on their end. So that's usually a very healthy relationship for us.
0: Excellent. So yes, quite a lot of of things to balance there, which is, as you would expect, when you're looking for a partner for uh, potentially the rest of the constellation and whatever comes next. So it, on that, Pixel you know, works with manufacturers and service providers, of course, in lots of different areas, I believe from several different countries today. So there's a, there's a few aspects related to the supply chain that I would like to ask you about some of them you've discussed already. I mean, firstly, you mentioned how important it is for suppliers to be responsive, how quickly do you find that the suppliers would typically respond to your RFIs, including whether that's, whether that's for quotes specifically or just individual documents like ICDs or CAD models, et cetera?
1: I think we've had some really good and some really bad experiences in this. So there have been cases where uh, suppliers have sent across proposals for entire missions inside of, of few days there there are cases where you know we know that our suppliers are also working really hard regardless of us choosing them or not so we do have that bit of an appetite for patience, but uh, we've seen some of the suppliers really go above and beyond to have proposals ready in a week in four days five days they work with our teams to do that so that's also a very uh, healthy sign usually but in some cases we've had issues for a month or so a couple months to just get, you know, a hint of a proposal from a few suppliers. It does happen. It's not always up to them as well. We need to be clearer with our requirements. But I think business is important to everyone. Whenever people see it coming, they usually straightforward with it. However, beyond the codes, getting different CAD models, ICDs, files, and support or uh, technical support before, after, I think that is where uh, a few of the suppliers really do shine because uh, uh, of how prompt they are. And there are some who are very lethargic or where you can see that the supplier itself is so much overwhelmed with the work that they don't have the time to um, actually come up with something like an ICD for you because they never plan to prepare it. So uh, we've had those issues as well. And the way to deal with this is to just constantly keep bugging them because that stops our work that it's, it's not, it's a single confident it. It mixes with the rest of the mission and a lot of dependencies come based on single components. So we we have had those issues as well. I'm not sure if that answered your question, but that's just like the conversations we've had so far.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's, it's very important. I think it's very important for suppliers to hear that these things are noted by your potential clients. People want the business. If if you want the business, they need to behave like it. So that's great and then in terms of delivering the actual product itself if we could take the, the semiconductor shortage out of the equation or just or as whether it's a temporary blip whether it's that the industry or industries as a whole need to adjust to the new normal if we can take that as a given as a factor do most suppliers kind of meet their promised lead times based on your your procurement experience? Yeah,
1: they do. Maybe once or twice we've had some issues in the very beginning, but apart from that, we are actually happy to see most new space suppliers meeting their timelines.
0: Great. And what sort of average lead times have you seen for you know products that you procure regularly? Um, was it difficult to say? No, it's
1: not difficult to say. So there are some components that really quickly, like antennas can arrive because they're passive components. There's not a lot of testing that's required. So some components arrive really quickly. Others not so quickly because there's uh, a lot of complicated moving parts to the entire process. The contractor has a bunch of subcontractors. So we're looking at lead times of nine months, even 11 and a half months on some of the other components. So it's a mix, but I would say most, like the average lead time for confidence is five to six months at this point of time.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting. Now, you mentioned earlier that you at Pixel are willing to uh, engage with or at least discuss uh, with suppliers using technology that hasn't necessarily, ha- at TRL 9 perhaps, uh, are you likely to fly a component in, in a in an important position that meets your technical specifications but doesn't have full flight heritage just yet
1: if you find me gbps radio that hasn't been flown in space yet but is tested according to our specifications we would be more than happy to fly it. So there's definitely a lot of these components where, um, like radios with high data rate, or looking at very high quality systems for some other some other aspects. Reaction wheels. We're looking at star trackers. In in some cases, if the testing specifications are met, and if the vendor is able to give us very solid confidence that this is going to go work in space, uh, based on their on ground testing, we are more than willing to take a call to those components in space, even if they do not have flight heritage. However, having flight heritage always helps.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do do you... Do you often go back to, or would you go back to such suppliers who maybe haven't been, hadn't undergone the full range of tests for the product that you would like to see and and ask them to
1: do? We've asked them in the past. Some of them have agreed to do it. Some of them, it comes with the cost as well. In some cases, we understand that a few components are just Scott's components that are meant for satellites with one or two years of lifetime. We fly missions with six, seven years of, so we wouldn't want to Uh, unnecessarily jeopardize that component just because it has to be adapted for a very different type of satellite. So in some cases, we do understand that there are constraints, but in in other cases, we're glad that the vendors have listened to our requests and have qualified their confidence. There's a GPS manufacturer in India that we work with who did the same.
0: Brilliant. So again, it goes back to responsiveness and open transparency and being willing to be flexible. It does, it does, yes. Excellent. And then I think the, the only other factor, the, main, the major factor I've not quite covered is price. So if we assume, you know, that there's established flight heritage for a product that you need, so that's not one of the factors, would you be looking at a certain, at, at what relative reduction in price would you seriously consider switching away from an established supplier you've been working with to a new vendor?
1: It depends. So uh, there is a long-term cost to it and there's a short-term cost to it. It's difficult for me to just put a relative reduction in price, but that usually has to do with level of adoption of that technology. So we've already spent some amount of time and money in working with a supplier that we've established to integrate them into our system. So, for example, it's critical subsystem, the flight computer on the satellite, and we have a certain SOC that we're using. For the flight computer, switching to a different SoC, if it has a lower cost and a similar spec comes with the challenge of having to redesign the boards, having to redesign some of the technology. So there's a lot of this added delta on top of what we're already spent, which usually goes, into, goes in as a non-recurring engineering cost in the very beginning. And we would want to make sure that delta is minimum. So at least that being paid for, the amount of time and effort being saved. And then pretty much everything else. So it becomes a bit tricky for us to just directly shift from one supplier to another. For some components, it's very easy. So let's say we are just changing an IMU or we are changing uh, a few sensors. That's usually pretty easy. But the more complicated uh, the component gets, the more difficult it becomes for us to switch our suppliers in that case. Unless we make like a, a big decision that we're going to, let's say, switch from chemical propulsion to electric propulsion, let's make that change. So those big changes, very few. And if they ever happen at that point of time, we would want to see if the relative reduction in price is something that, we, that can also absorb the delta that we would take to make that change. So I would say that is how I would uh, put it. I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's really and a really important insight for suppliers that what they need to consider that there is a cost on your side in order to switch. And as you say, the more complex the component, the higher that cost potentially is, which is really interesting because as space systems, what you can do with the satellite is is becoming you know ever more powerful because they're getting more complex. And so that is a factor. But at the same time, there are uh, movement towards modularity in a lot of the, the, the subsystems. So there's two interesting dynamics playing out, but for the individual supplier, they just need to know that it's not a case of, yeah, a simple X percent reduction in price would result in the sale. <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that. So um, that's, that is really good information for suppliers. I wonder if, if there was just anything else, any other advice that you might give to potential suppliers out there about how they could improve their own uh, success in the end. Don't
1: charge us a lot, I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I would say. But no, um, I w- just being ready with uh, stronger documentation, having ICDs ready is usually a very good sign for us. It's like a green flag that we see from a supplier. We've had suppliers send us test reports, test reports from their flight demonstrations as well. And there's nothing as validating as seeing that for your product. Um we have seen cases where suppliers have been really dodgy about their uh, flight heritage as well, where they've said, yeah, we have flight heritage, but they don't really talk about it. What uh, We don't know if the satellite failed or if the component failed or what happened, but it's good to see test reports and ICDs. So the we've had a really good time interacting with vendors who've been just open with that kind of information. And this is the space industry, so everyone's always ready to sign NDAs. So having that information on hand is always a good thing
0: excellent yeah that's that's great and it enables you to have a higher level of conversation early on because you're not you're not discussing the specifics of necessarily you know the flight
1: yeah it does and the other thing that it does is is that it opens up the discussion about that confidence inside the team because usually a single engineer cannot go through the entire ICD or through the test reports, you need multiple members of the team to come and look at the components. So we start scrutinizing the technology and we start thinking about how it will fit with the rest of the satellite at a much earlier stage if that information is available to us. So that's, yeah, that's how we usually go about it.
0: Excellent. That's a great advice again. Thank you. So in terms of the those sorts of technologies that you might be assessing based on the documentation and based on the supplier relationships, what sorts of new systems, new technologies on the horizon are you perhaps considering if you wouldn't mind what, what you wouldn't mind sharing, of course, as the pixel constellation continues to grow and mature?
1: I would say at this point of time, high data rate radios is definitely one. We are looking at, we are open to explore optical downlinks as well. So Pretty much any and all technology aimed at microsatellites, aiming at making their operation is something that we are always interested in. Keep our ears open, and we're always happy to have these conversations. Whether it's onboard processing, whether it's data transfer, newer uh, technologies in attitude determination control. So, pretty much anything and everything, we are more than happy to explore and see how we can bring it into our uh, system. But yeah, just by principle, it's important for us to look for high data rate solutions. So that's like the bare minimum.
0: Fantastic, that's that's great. And I just had one very final question. I ask um, a, a variation of this to most of our guests, but I wonder what it was in the industry in general, and you can you know speak specifically about pixels work or just across what you're seeing in, in across space uh, in general what you perhaps are most excited about in the next few years?
1: I think, so throughout the 20, the last 10 years or so, there was a lot of this talk about small satellites, 3U, 6U, CubeSats. And uh, you're seeing that all those companies that made these small satellites are moving to make bigger satellites, microsatellites, 12U, 16U, and just going away from the cubesat standard altogether, building larger satellites. So you're seeing this change towards, rather than compactness, because the launch cost has come down. So you don't really need to maintain that mass of three kgs or four kgs anymore. You can have it a little higher. The kind of fundraising that has happened in the space industry over the last two years, and that will happen over the next three, four years. It all seems... To be in a very positive direction. Obviously, with Artemis and other things, there's a lot of opportunity for in the upstream segment to grow, which was not there at that scale before. I am particularly optimistic about the next few years for the space industry and the new space industry because we weren't there during the, the, you know, 60s, 70s when they sent humans on the moon. It would be exciting to have a lot more participation from smaller companies, not just in the US, but all over the globe this time as we make such forays again. And in general, based on Pixel's experience as well, this is a very accepting community. We've had people take us seriously since day one when there was no money in the bank. We have people take us seriously. And there is. There's a lot of simplicity in the way people interact. It's a very tight-knit community. And we truly appreciate the kind of support that we've gotten from not just our partners, but also suppliers, uh, vendors we've interacted with. And um, they know as well as us that we've we know, we've learned in one way or the other from them um, on how to do a lot of these things. So, yeah, I think uh, that way, just genuinely optimistic about the industry.
0: Excellent. I think that's um, a great place to, to wrap up. Always great to end on a you know positive, optimistic note. Thank you so much for the insights that you've, you've shared with us today. It's been uh, really useful. I think a lot of the, the suppliers out there in the industry will be uh, following uh, your words quite closely. <laughs> and it's obviously great to, um, yeah, for you to for you to bring things together in the way that you did at the end, I think. Absolutely. In the 50s and 60s, they, yes, there wasn't no, there was this new space industry backing up the major exploration missions that were carried out by NASA. So it'd be really interesting to see what this round is like and also that, that it is um, a lot more international. I think, yeah, I would like to just thank you on behalf of the space industry community and the uh, SatSearch community and yeah, wish you all the best with the work that Pixel is doing. We'll uh, add some links for everybody in the show notes and we'd like to thank you very much.
1: Perfect. Thanks so much for your time, Holly. Uh, it was great speaking
0: to you. Great, thank you. And yeah, to everybody out there who's listening, they spending time with us today. As I said, we'll uh, share a bit more information about Pixel when, when this podcast goes live. And if you'd like to um, find out more about the company and the work they're doing, everything is, uh, is available online. And um, they'd be, I'm sure they'd be more than happy to hear from you across different channels. So thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by SatSearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to satsearch.com for more information on the space industry today, or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, or whichever podcast service you typically use.